Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 219. Uh, judging by its box office, I'm going to assume that a good chunk of you have seen the Super Mario Brothers movie, and you, like Heather and I, rejoice in the post credit scene. If you haven't, we're not going to spoil for you here, uh, but post credit scenes seem to be all the rage these days. Sometimes, more priority is given to those than the actual movie themselves. Isn't that right, Marvel? And some movies that we'll talk about today. Um, but I'm genuinely surprised we haven't talked about this earlier. But uh, we're going to talk about the best post-credit scenes of all time. Now, I put the caveat on, uh, at least for my list, it has to be like an actual scene. It can't be one of those like, here's the blooper reel that played during the post-credits. Or here's yeah. this little clip that played alongside the credits. It's like you actually have to wait for either the mid-credits or the end credits. It's not just like some accompaniment. It's an actual dedicated scene. I got a lot of these. Um, I got at least one on my list today that I begrudgingly put on the list just because I haven't had a mini rant in a while. Uh, but, Josh, how are <laughs> you doing tonight? I'm chilling like a villain, buddy. I uh, b- bought a bunch of comics today. I'm... I saw you got the Supergirl one. Yes. Oh, okay, so what's really funny is um, so I've been searching for the for a place that would sell the the Radiant Black um, comic volume one. Um, for those that don't know, it's fantastic. It's a crossover between between like Inv- Invincible and Power Rangers. So obviously, it's got me written all over it. Um, but I turned a corner and I saw it right there on the shelf. I was like, "Oh, yay, cool!" And then right below it was uh, Supergirl, uh, Woman of Tomorrow, and I was like. Hey, yo, yeah, okay, cool. I'll get that too. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to read them both because they both look gorgeous. And, I mean, <laughs> the fact that uh, Woman of Tomorrow sold out, like, literally the next day after uh, James Gunn was saying, like, yeah, hey, man, we're going to make a Supergirl thing based off this. And it gives me a lot of hope that the, the book is good. So I'm excited to read through it and see what happens in it. and Because the art are ready is gorgeous but yeah i've i've been i've been pretty chill these past couple days honestly i i got back into animal crossing so uh (laughs) that's been wasting my hours (laughs) so that explains why josh has been asking about that (laughs) yeah i so for those that don't know in uh new animal crossing's new horizons there's a point of the game where you get quote-unquote permission to customize your island completely like land wise um i am have been at that point for a long time i just never did anything with it and now all of a sudden for for some reason i was uh i was like you know what it's time to 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 customize the island so i've been i did that a whole lot this week um still stayed on the 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 animation train um this week i watched coco um mostly because like I, there's a lot of songs from that movie that get stuck on my head often really um and it's a gorgeous movie yeah dude so and because part of it i think is you know the last almost decade of my life has been spent in kitchens in houston so like a lot of mariachi a lot a lot of like um, spanish rap and stuff like that so like there's just like i i don't i feel like an infinity with that culture i think is the word i'm going to use there i, I it's something I, I connect with a little bit so i uh i i love the, the that movie there's so many parts that are <laughs> so questionable of why that is in a uh a ch- children's film uh you know main character is uh 
poisoned. So no, the main character's dad is po- or grandfather. Yeah, grandfather is is poisoned, so they can't get home. It's just it is all kinds of crazy, but like it's super beautiful and super. Um, the music is fantastic. The animation is fantastic. So I just I watched that. Um, and I am finally I've been watch, doing a watch through of uh, Adventure Time because it's something I've never seen before. I am just now getting into season six. Uh, for those that of the, the un, uninitiated, um, the transition of story content from season four to season five was awesome. Um, Nathan, uh, the I, I don't know how much you know about Adventure Time, but it's a goofy. It's a really, really goofy show, right? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, so by the end of season four, they're, we're just having a great time. And then all of a sudden, the end of season four, they're like, hey, by the way, uh, there's this you know giant demon god that uh, ha- wants to destroy the, the world again. Um, so we're going to go to the world between worlds that has that controls time and uh, go deal with that. <laughs> and then they do like a two-parter and then like end it on a cliffhanger in the middle of the, uh, at the end of the season and they, they follow through on into the next, into the season five. There's one of those like classic, uh, you know, Cartoon Network um, bit where they go, Hey, I know you're having fun, but now let's have extent existential crises. <laughs> yeah. This will be fun. <laughs> Is is Adventure Time also that same show that, like, I'll see clips of that it shows? Um, is the dog? No, Jake is the one with the backpack. Jake's the, no, what's Jake's the, the dog. The, fin, fin the, fin okay, the so it is Jake is the dog. Uh, the Jake is just going, you want to do something scary? We go to bed early and be alone with our thoughts? And I'm going, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you know, it's a fantastic having show. a couple existential crises this week, I'm just like, huh, I, I feel called out here. Um Anything else for this past nah, week? Man. It's been pretty chill this week. Lots of games, lots of comics, lots of adventure time. So uh, I took a couple days off work just because I have too much time on my hands to to burn. Uh, and also just because we had a packed schedule. So uh, Thursday, went to the theater and saw Return of the King, an extended edition. And I texted Love Josh it. like right before the movie started. I was just like, wow. This place knows its audience, apparently, because they <laughs> literally the only thing they were advertising was the Lord of the Rings board game up and coming, um, uh, Lord of the Rings themed D and D campaign, and Studio Ghibli movies, and I'm just going, hmm. I feel a very specific audience <laughs> is this movie, and I'm just going, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but it was great. I think I only went to the bathroom like two or three it's times. So um. It is now officially the longest movie I've ever seen in a theater because it's the it's the extended cuts. Still great, yeah. but I was like one row too close, I think. So it's like, well, it was great. I'm like, uh, okay. Like even Josh has been to the theater. It's the one at City Walk, and they're like, it's a great theater, but yeah. even when you're closer, like you can still recline your seat back, but there's still a level of too closeness, I think. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, so got that. Um, oh, um. I mainly wanted to take days off just because I figured I needed some recovery time because Heather and I went to see Shinedown, who was here at the Amway Center on Saturday. The Shinedown part of it was the best concert I have ever seen. The problem is there's two other bands. Uh, The first is a band called From Ashes to New. Uh, They clearly had like a young upstart rock energy. Like they, they... but they were fine, but my problem with them was, one, wasn't familiar with them, so I didn't know any of their songs. Two, their audio mix was god-awful. Like, I could hear the drums, and that was a 
about it. Like every other word, maybe. And it's not just me being a grumpy old man. It's like your audio mix is genuinely bad. Uh, and then you get three days grace. So as someone that listened to some three days grace songs back in junior high and high school, and I've been to my fair share of concerts, but I've never been to a concert where the performer is clearly there for a paycheck, like 50% effort the entire set. Like I get that you're not the headliner, but man, you are not enthusiastic whatsoever, but the shine down part of it. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> You're telling me you've never been to Coachella with Frank Ocean? Come on, man. <laughs> Dude, I want I want our listeners at home to know. I will never ever go to Coachella because the words Coachella or music festival just triggers that like introvert anxiety within me of just going too many people, place I don't know, large crowds, it all smell a little weird. No thank you. That just sounds like the worst thing in the world. Like Heather and I for our concert didn't plan it this way but we had the best seats in the world of like we were up against a wall on the basically ground level on the back row right by an exit in the aisle way so i'm just going oh (laughs) yeah you guys are happy happy i was like oh i got a little bit of leg room here now if only the people in the seats next to us didn't have to get up and go to the bathroom or take a hit every 20 minutes like guys love it love it stop it just stay in your seat. No one else in a row has this problem except for you guys. Um, then the only thing I really was watching, I haven't watched any movies lately, but I'll probably catch up on that this week. Uh, I've been on Paramount and I've been watching The Offer, which I don't know how accurate this is, but it's supposed to be the adaptation of the making of The Godfather, like starring Miles Teller as Al Ruddy, the producer of the movie, uh, Dan Fogler, also known as, I believe the character's name was Jacob in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, the Muggle, the only people... Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. The Muggle, the only good character in the Fantastic Beast movies. He plays Francis Ford Coppola. And I'll say this. I don't know how accurate it is to the real events, and I don't care. I'm treating this as, like, it's a it's a fantasy show, you know, something the critics yeah, clearly yeah. couldn't do because I looked up the Rotten Tomatoes and, good Lord, the critics hated the show, but the audiences love it. I like it a lot. I'm enjoying it as a show, but this show is single-handedly turning me around to Miles Teller as an actor. I've not, like, disliked him, but he's definitely been on my list of just, like, you're kind of whatever. But couple this with Top Gun Maverick, he's actually really, really good. And maybe it's just because he's actually playing a character his age this time around. Mm. Like, he's actually acting like a grown man that's taking care of grown man things. So it's interesting seeing a movie producer try and solve this problem or solve this problem. Just like... Again, I don't know how accurate this thing is, but I I like problem-solving movies, like a Moneyball type of situation of, like, here's yeah. your lot. Make this situation work. Like, Francis Ford Coppola is insisting, we have to shoot this scene in Sicily. They've got no money left. So, like, where can we clip some things from the budget to find $28,000 to go film in Sicily type of thing like that? That's interesting to me. Again, I don't care how accurate it is. And I'm also saying this as someone that's only seen the first Godfather once. I, I need to see all three of them, like, as an older adult now to see if it's actually worth the hype. But I've got two episodes left. Really like it. Mando should be out by the time you guys are listening to this. Mm, mm. Um, Let's go. And like I said, because I had some days off, I was determined I was going to get some stuff done. That was This was one of them. Uh, and the other thing, I finally sat down. Hashed it all out, got it all ironed out, 
Pitching a Nightwing movie part two script is finally done. Like word for word. I was going to record it this weekend, but I didn't know how my voice would be after the Shinedown concert. So mm-hmm. I think sometime this weekend, when I know for a fact it's like back to back to normal and I can dedicate a good hour, couple hours to making sure I get all the right takes and whatnot, it'll be recorded, then it'll be in the editing process. So that's a big... Making the script be finished, finally, it was like the biggest step in that direction because the editing, I can... That could be whatever. I, for some reason, it's easier for me to just lock myself in my room and just plug away for a couple hours at a time editing as opposed to writing that's like get out get out of my head i don't know it's just easier for me that way but so yeah that that's where that stands now so nightwing is finally crossed its biggest hurdle yet it's all written out it just needs to be recorded and it'll be edited so just as a as a tease we'll we'll do some tease here Josh, do you have one single question about the project that you want people to have answered here? Go one question. Um, or something you're curious about. Well, because I think y- you've kept it very under wraps, even to me. Um, so, which I'm ex- excited about. And it's been so long since I've seen the first the first one. Um, I maybe, am, hey, I am like, putting do, a recap you... in the video. I am putting okay, a recap cool, cool, video. Cool, cool. Yeah, because that's going to be a, a big thing. I think even for me that I I might go back and rewatch it just to because I'm excited. We we I've been waiting for the second part because I know for a long time, even for you, you weren't sure how to get to the next second or even third part of the story. And that's the um, thing is I kept thinking part three before part two, and it's yeah. evolved so much. So I I will say this: my original arc for it would be for the third one to end like a battle for the cowl situation of him Mm -hmm. becoming batman by the end of the trilogy that was scrapped about a couple months after i started really putting my work into it so that is not the direction it's going now and i Mm -hmm. I like where it's going a lot better and it's i think more streamlined so this one is connected to the first one but it's not dependent on the first one there's certain thematic elements that continue from the first one but it's not like i kept thinking when i was originally working on the ideas of just like all right they need to build on each other build on each other and that doesn't need to be the case they can have through lines but not not you be required viewing type of thing yeah which is i think something that you and i have always harped on marvel for even especially these days is like i don't want to have to have required viewing to see your stuff so so yeah yeah, what's pretty excited about do you have a question or just something you think Um, the audience might want to know i that was kind of it like uh, as far as uh you know just is am i gonna have to go watch the first one are you gonna do a recap uh because at this point you and i have talked so much about ideas that we might have for fun batman stories it's uh hard for me they they all blend together so i can't tell i can't remember what we've talked about in in a context of not of nightwing um in the context of it of it of of batman stories in general um battle of the cow uh is obviously yeah that's one of your one of your favorites when it comes to nightwings um do you feel let's go this way um do you feel that you're going to be taking that you took any inspiration from um, the animated movie Bad Blood? Because no. there's a lot of, uh, of of Nightwing Batman stuff in that. If there's anything I took from Bad Blood, it is the emotional disconnect 
between Nightwing and Batman. Fair enough. I think Which is not that's about it. That's yeah. about it from what I took from Batman Bad Blood. I'll say two things and then we'll move on to news topics. The first script was about eight or nine pages for the first one, for the first uh, video. This is 18 pages. Like, this is much more planned out process. It's also a much darker story, as I think all sequels should be. Agreed. Um, What was the other thing I was going to say? I forget. Oh, in terms of biggest inspirations, I will say it's Karate Kid Part 3 and leave it at that. So my least favorite Karate Kid. Love it. Okay. Um, I think Karate Kid Part 3 is not a great movie, but it gets some interesting concepts right, I think, that you don't see a lot in other yeah. movies. I mean, that's fair. The second one does the same thing. where like, There's some interesting parts, but the movie as a whole is not interesting. <laughs> With all that being said, let's get into the news for this week because we don't have a lot of movie news, but we do, what we do have is very Dense movie news, by and large. So first up, James Gunn on Superman's birthday slash anniversary. One of the big Superman days. It's now 85 years of the Man of Steel. He has announced that his Superman, Superman Legacy, is now deep in pre-production. To which I'm just going, I feel like it's been deep in pre-production for a while. You just felt like deciding today because it's like a superman day to announce it but whatever whatever boat your float there james gunn and you know naturally if james gunn breathes it creates a twitter firestorm of yeah i saw something about like him posting a picture of him and the cast of guardians of the galaxy and nathan fillion shirts and snyder cultists were just like how dare you post a tweet about a shirt the same day zach snyder posted a tweet about a shirt and i'm just going are you kidding me Really? Um, but I feel like we haven't talked about this in a little bit just because they've been radio silent on this. James Gunn has talked about that now that they're deep in pre-production, they've got like, they were already working on like costume designs and mm-hmm. production stuff, probably storyboards and whatnot. I firmly believe that they have some casting done. Not any of the major casting, the, the one in particular, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have their eyes on certain people for like Lois or Perry White, because if we're doing a young Superman that who's mm-hmm. just starting out a Daily Planet, we need a Perry White. We will probably get a Jimmy Olsen this time around. That is, you know, alive actually, the entire time. Yeah, actually, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mentioned this in my Smallville series review. You should all check that out because it's fantastic. Um. There's something that I've wanted from a Superman movie for a while, but I just don't know if they would ever actually do. And that is Pa Kent being alive long enough to see his son be Superman, at least for a little bit. Like, I get that in the Christopher Reeve one Mm -hmm. and in the Zack Snyder one, he died. And also Smallville, he died and taught his son a lesson that you can't save everyone. But in other incarnations like Superman Man of Tomorrow and multiple times in the comics, Jonathan is alive long enough to see clark be superman for a couple years and like smallville there the kent farm is like his other fortress of solitude like when he needs advice go talk to your parents like an adult like any other struggling 20 or 30 something just go hey i broke something how do i fix it like too relatable um i wouldn't be surprised 
I know they said that they're not going to start filming anything till the beginning of 2024. I'm fully expecting in the next couple months to see some casting announcements. So we haven't talked about casting very much for this project, but Superman aside, what do you think of some casting choices that could make them make you even more excited for this? What do you think about this officially being in pre-production? Thoughts on Superman Legacy, Josh? Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited just because it's, it's James Gunn. He's obviously done the script. It's, uh, there's definitely, definitely like they're, they've got to be way farther along than, than they're letting on. Um, but, uh, as far as casting, um, I think you hold off Lois, uh, just a little bit before you announce Superman and then, I mean, I guess you can do like Perry White and and and, and Jimmy Olsen. Uh, to me, Perry and Jimmy aren't that big of a deal. Uh, as long as the characters are like around, I I know this won't happen, but I would love Lawrence Fishburne to come back as Perry. I loved his his Perry White. Um, yeah, same. Uh, ha- and to be fair, uh, and I feel bad because I I don't remember his name, but the guy that they got to play Jimmy Olsen. Oh yeah, that guy from Zoom. You know, for all thirteen or ten minutes. Yeah, I would love for him to give give him a, a good crack at it because he does have that kind of look of Jimmy Olsen. I do um, want Jimmy to be younger than Superman, though. Yeah, the- yeah, I, I can, yeah, kind of have that like look look uh, that uh, older brother kind of feel connection between them. Um, fine, if that's the case. Um, I, maybe not Finn Wolfhard, but one of the Stranger Things kids could be fun. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Oh my gosh, the uh, the kid that plays Dustin. Yes, he played Jimmy Olsen. Uh oh, don't. Oh, okay. He's even already got the lisp and everything. It'd be so good. It'd be so much fun. Honestly, any of the Stranger Things kids. Maybe not Finn Wolfhard because he's actually aged. Yeah, all that that too. But if you want um, to mix things up, go with um. Oh, what is his name? Caleb Caleb McLaughlin. Who who is his? Um. Oh, I'm basketball not, I'm player. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Lucas. Oh gosh, dude, I should be way more Lucas. Unfamiliar. Yeah, his Lucas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas would be fun. I'd, yeah, I'd like that. That could be a lot of fun. Um, I think because if we're going at Daily Planet, it, to me, I don't think Lex Luthor is your main bad yet. I not think yet. No, doing, I think you're doing someone that's parasite. Bit, par- parasite or um. Oh gee, well no, I get. I was gonna say whatever. No, I, I forgot the name of that guy that was like he's got a heart of kryptonite, but that might be a little too Metallo. early for him. Yeah, Metallo might be a little early for that. Um, way too early for for, for Bizarro. I really don't want to retread Zod right off the bat. Um, so I I'm trying to think of who that leaves. I mean, Mister Mixelpitalik. <laughs> uh I, I kind of almost want I kind of want somebody oh what's the um he's got that villain that can create like the that like um he affects the weather. Um weather oh, wizard geez. yeah let's go weather wizard give him somebody who can't who can like affect multiple places at once and so he has to like do the process of, of elimination and be like, okay, how like actually think through, through the problem, not just like I'll punch it as hard as I can kind of situation. You know what I mean? Hmm. So 
I haven't really thought too much about the casters. I've seen plenty of like Superman fan castings yeah. and whatnot. Except for one that I can't get out of my head of just going, oh dear God, this would be genuinely perfect casting. For his father, for Jonathan Kent, I really, really want it to be Dennis Quaid. Because yes. gosh, I love Quaid. I love that man. Clarify. Dennis, not Randy. Dennis. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Dennis Quaid would adopt his alien son. Randy would fully believe that he is the alien son. <laughs> yeah. Randy. Yeah. Randy's bonkers. Um, but no, Dennis Quaid, I feel like Jonathan Kent needs to have that like old school Norman Rockwell uh Americana. As much oh, as I don't dude. like a lot of Zack Snyder's like directing choices. Full props to his casting department. He casts perfectly for all the DC movies, and I think casting Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent was a brilliant move. Do I always agree with the portrayal of Jonathan Kent? Fair. Yeah, it's okay to kill children. No, I don't agree with that choices. Uh, but casting always perfect. So you got big shoes to fill for that. But also, yes, it's been memed to death. But Martha is an important character to also get right. Mm-hmm. So I think. Um, Diane Lane was great and Batman versus your man and man of steel. So finding someone warm, maybe it's just because I think of amazing Spider-Man, but Sally field. Yeah, be- dude, I was say like, if we're doing Dennis Quaid, yes, Dennis, Dennis and, and, uh, and Sally would be perfect. I love it. I, I, it's so great. Cause, um, or Tom Hanks. Dennis is in that movie, uh, the rookie and instantly. <laughs> I'm all I'm thinking like that that version of Dennis who's like in the cornfields throwing baseball and stuff like that like that oh that would be great oh my goodness okay yeah I and me I just love Sally so I would love to see more of her <laughs> um I'm trying to think of who else though but yeah Sally Fields would be fantastic for for Martha um, I have no, no issues with that I know this is a popular fan cast and she even voiced the character in uh, Superman may have tomorrow, but Alexander Daddario as Lois Lane, I would be very much okay with. Um, I think Lois is tricky. Lois mm-hmm. is very, very, very tricky because she does have to fulfill so many check marks um, as a character. Um, she, she can be exposition. She can, she has to be the. How do we how do we say that? She has to be the uh, damsel in distress that, and like. I get, but that's that's not a damsel in distress in that she is not a damsel. She's always a damsel against her 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 will kind of situation where like people, you know, Superman villains know that, you know, if you want to get a Superman, go after Lois for some reason. Um, and I, and then but then she's also gotta be like a competent reporter and a competent, like interesting person. She's not just fodder, you know. She's not a side character next necessarily. She might as well be like a second main character if, if we're if we're being honest. Um, yeah, Desario would be good. I, I think maybe if we want to switch things up, depends um, on what age we're looking at here. Yeah, that's the other big thing is because they also have to be the love interest of Superman, and it has to not be uh creepy uh <laughs> has to not be weird um so i think lois will be hard to cast until you we cast superman obviously yeah uh, i think whoever james picks i will be stoked about i i'm and that's not me saying saying that as james like a james gun apologist or anything like that i just think that 
James has such a vision right now for this script that anybody that he's picked, he's thoroughly thought through and has vetted a ton of people, whether it be big name, small name, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think I'm going to be pretty okay with whoever he picks. Yeah. I think for Superman, he's going to go with somebody like we're not expecting at all. Like somebody completely out of left field, because that's kind of the legacy of Superman. Like, Christopher Reeve was nobody. Uh, Henry Cavill was the forever bridesmaid, but never a bride. Even Tyler Heckle on Superman and Lois, like, he had Teen Wolf before that, but he wasn't, like, the biggest name in the world. I mm-hmm. think Seventh Heaven, too. Um, for me, and this is just will be my process, whoever they end up casting, my first instinct will be to see them in interviews. Not movie performances, but interviews. Because yes. I think... Superman as a character, it's it's gonna sound weird to say, but it can't be an act. It has to it has to emanate from who you are as a person. Christopher Reeve was a phenomenal person on and off the camera, always helping people, always just explaining in interviews. Superman's a friend, he's there, he's compassionate, he's this, that, or the other thing. Henry Cavill, I know he doesn't have as good a reputation as he has now. I still Formally believe that in all the interviews that deep down he's a good person he's a good ambassador for the brand he understands as superman kids will always see me as superman and i take that very very seriously that's always one of the main reasons i loved him as henry cow as superman is because he understood the responsibility that came with the role um we hear nothing but nice things about him same with tyler hecklin supposedly he's one of the nicest guys in the world and you see him in interviews and whatnot he's polite he's respectful that's kind of what i look for in an actor of just like I don't want an actor that's got like a bad boy reputation or like he's known for this out of the other thing. Because so, so what I, you're saying, no so Robert what you're Downey saying is Jr. Ezra Miller is off the table. He should be off the table just in general. But like, <laughs> yeah, but Superman at his core is a kind person. And I think whoever plays them needs to be a kind person and that's why i think it's somebody we probably have never seen before it's it's this big undertaking um i do not envy whoever they end up casting because you're gonna get the inevitable ben affleck batman or michael keaton batman situation if you get get a whole bunch of people immediately comparing him to henry cavill you get a people immediately comparing him to christopher reeve i'm like no matter who gets cast as superman i wouldn't be surprised if they announced at a comic-con this year of who the superman is that's um, a good venue for it. I think whoever it is, y'all relax and actually see how it is because it happens with every major superhero casting. Ben Affleck is Batman. That's the worst casting choice of all time. Now, those exact same people, why aren't they bringing Ben Affleck's Batman back? He was perfect. Like, I don't get the people that are the most vocal in defending one thing are the ones that are always so vocal against said thing when it's first announced. It's... People don't like change until the change comes and you find out it's for the better. Oh, wow. Robert Pattinson's Batman was actually good. Um, I love that casting choice from day one. No, you didn't. No, you um, didn't. Shut up. <laughs> the amount of memes that were like, oh, we got the guy from Twilight. Okay, sure. Whatever. Like, shut up. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, it'll be great to actually have a... <laughs> It'll be great to have like a, a Superman movie, honestly. <laughs> it just sounds so weird because the last one came out 10 years ago. Which is wild. Next up, we have 
our first official casting announcements of the new James Gunn DC Universe. And I kind of love that it was for an <laughs> animated series first. But again, James Gunn has reiterated any character that's voicing someone will also show up as them in live action form when it is required. So we have more or less the entire cast for the upcoming series Creature Commandos, which even diehard comic book fans are just going, uh, I'm going to pretend I know what this is because I have a reputation. Josh and I don't care. We have no reputation. I have no <laughs> idea who the Creature Commandos were before it got announced. But looking at the roster, I'm going, ah, oh, this sounds like it's for me. We have a, we've got a... Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster, whatever one Josh wants to be pedantic about this week. You get a bride of Frankenstein. You get um, his, his name is Eric Frankenstein. Eric <laughs> like, Frankenstein. This is so great. Weasel Senior, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's a whole eclectic cast. But looking at this cast, I'm going, oh, James Gunn has been let in the kitchen because this man is cooking and he's yes, cooking he up. Is. Although, to be fair, one of them was completely spoiled a few days before it got dropped because Frank Grillo is a grumpy old man who doesn't know when to shut his mouth. Uh, Frank Grillo, known for uh, Warrior, I believe he was in The Grey. He's been in a whole bunch of different action movies. Yeah. He's going to be the lead. He's going to be voicing Rick Flagg Sr. and going, yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah uh, apparently he's just like, yeah, I left Marvel because I was Crossbones and they really didn't want to do anything with my character, which, to which I wholeheartedly agree. I always thought Crossbones was super cool, even though they completely wasted him. They really did nothing with Crossbones, which yeah. sucks. Because honestly, Crossbones would be a great villain for uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America now. I think those mm -hmm. would be very evenly matched. Uh, I but agree. no, we have to blow him <laughs> up to be the catalyst for Civil War. Uh, then is, you also have. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I won't. I won't go on a, on a civil war rant. <laughs> we'll talk about civil war later, though. Yeah. Um, we also have Maria Bakalova as Ilan Rostov Rostovic. Okay. That's got to be the the one with the the bubble on their head. I think. Oh, the one that looks like Abe Sapien from Hellboy. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm thinking. Maybe. I'm just like looking at the picture that I'm trying to, you know, because obviously the bride. Uh, Which is one's the bride? Which one's that? <laughs> uh, then we also have Game of Thrones and Obi-Wan actress Indira Varma as the bride. Let's okay, go. cool. Uh, she was fine in Obi-Wan. I just don't think the show gave a lot of actors the material that they could have really mm -hmm. used to their benefit. She was great in Game of Thrones, though. Uh, Zo Chow as Nina Mazurki? Mazurki? I'm terrible with pronunciations. Mazursky? Although I can name this one. Alan Tudyk! Heck yes. Did you just put Alan Tudyk in anything? And I am there. Y'all, Alan Tudyk is in a lot more than you think he is. Uh, he's in Josh's all-time favorite TV show, Firefly. Uh, he gets murdered. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Um, he's gonna be playing Dr. Phosphorus. Don't, I don't, don't know the character me. at all, but that is the coolest slash most Bible manish name ever, Doctor oh, yeah. Phosphorus. But again, you have Frank Grillo and Alan Tudyk in the same project together. I am there because Tucker and Dale versus Evil is one of the best Let's horror do. comedies of all time. Uh, but then the real hook, David Harbor. As a big, lumbering, scary man with different colored skin. 
he's returning as Hellboy. No, he's going to be playing Eric Frankenstein, <laughs> and he's going to do much better this time around than Hellboy. Uh, but I'm going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, that works for me on a lot of levels. I know some people were thinking, oh, but, but Ron Perlman was up for it, and James Gunn's like, no, he wasn't. I love Ron Perlman. But no, he was never in consideration for this. So I'm... I'm excited to see him both voice it, but also see him as Frankenstein. And lastly, because it's a James Gunn movie, Sean Gunn has to be in here somewhere. So he's going to be pulling double duty as he's going to be G.I. Robot and Weasel Sr. Because he was Weasel in the last one. Did anyone check to see if Weasel could swim? Still the hardest <laughs> I've favorite? laughed in, in What are my favorite bits? Yeah. Um, what stands out to you, Josh? Um, obviously, Alan Tudyk. Love him in pretty much everything he's in. Uh, Frank Grillo, super excited. Uh, David Harbour as Eric Frankenstein, just that is so. Like, oh, that is such casting. Um, honestly, I love that this is a animated show. I love that this is something that is not necessarily well known. Um, typical James Gunn project, basically. Uh, but I'm excited that like all these people are going to see all these people as these people on live in live action if they ever come to live action which is oh that's so cool i like that so much um i will say and i kind of want to bring this up to you because i don't know if you and i have ever had this discussion at least on the podcast um i do remember seeing a little backlash to the i mean it's james gunn but to the comment that if you play them in animation we you know we would like you to play them in live action um, I saw some backlash to that from voice actors. Um, I don't know how I feel about it from that perspective. Same, same. Because there's a lot, I, to me, I love the idea of, you know, a voice actor getting more than just voice work. Uh, but then again, that might be some, not something that they want to do. So it. True. Look at Ashley Eckstein for yeah. Ahsoka. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's we'll see. I guess um, I really hope that this brings some people that have been trying to get into that live action, you know, genre, but have only been relegated to to voice work. I, you know, you could probably rattle off some names there, uh, but like, I I just don't know how I feel about. While I it makes me excited because of stuff like David Arbor as Eric Frenzen. Frankenstein and Frank Grillo being somebody like seeing though knowing that okay cool so if you voice those people we're going to see those people and you as that person um but I worry that I because I, I just never want voice actors to be out of work because it's such oh, a cannibalized same. cannibalized um industry already uh and I just yeah I, I I am a little worried but I don't know you and I have never discussed that on the pod so I wanted I did want to bring that up a little bit I'm, I'm kind of with you in the same way of just like I do want voice actors to get more respect and recognition, and I understand where they're coming from. My thought is usually animated projects are only ever intended as animated projects, so I think it's interesting planning them to be mm-hmm. animated stuff, live action appearances if they're doing video games. So I get it from that perspective because you could have like an Ashley Eckstein who voiced Ahsoka for many years and express not really having an interest in doing a live-action version of Ahsoka. Totally understand that. Or you could have someone um, like a Laura Bailey who voiced... Um, oh, why am I blanking on the character's name? Um, the one that no one likes from Last of Us 2. 
she doesn't look like that character, but she does a great job voice performing as that character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think expressly conveying that this will be across different mediums, I think ha- kind of has a different impact to me of like, okay, they're clearly planning something different. What mm-hmm. I'm also hoping, maybe it's just me being naive, is because they're putting celebrities in this, quote-unquote celebrities, not like top-tier people, but more recognizable names than voice actors, that what James Gunn might be doing is trying to get more eyeballs on the art of animation itself because then you're just like, okay, by proxy, yeah, let's let's expand this out type of thing. If they wanted to cast some voice actors and then also have them in live action, totally cool. I'd be super down with that as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm also kind of conflicted because... I get it, but at the same time, it's it is tough for voice actors. But yeah, it's usually animated stuff is intended for animation only. If you're a good enough voice actor, you can really slip into any role. You're more versatile <laughs> in that way. But this, they're going for a very specific thing, and I don't think yeah. that's a bad thing. Um, if anything, it could be more foresight than again. We don't want to compare the two, but Marvel. One of the big issues I had with Marvel's What If is only getting like half of the original cast back. Yeah. So when you're listening to it, yeah, like Ant Man's accurate, um, Hawkeye's accurate, but then you get some glaring differences that you're just like, oh, that's not quite right. And so having more uniformity could be a really good thing. So I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of where I land on it. I think. Yeah, I I think that's where I land too, um, because then you, we you we would get into this really big messy discussion about like, okay, cool. So how is this? But how is this situation any different from like how they cast Pixar movies or how they cast, you know, any other animation project? Um, so which to the the voice actors act credits like that's also an issue that you know they only go for celebrity voices these days and that's not you know, for better or for worse so i we'll find out i'm excited about this casting i'm excited about the show just because it's so different and i love me some different so uh but yeah i'm let, let's uh let's uh give it to me james gunn wait not your wait. weirdest slip up yeah yeah, yeah anyway well if you want to see creature commandos you're gonna have to watch them on the new max app mm-hmm. which is sorry um somehow just... worse than peacock um oh, goodness max is the new hbo max and warner brothers discovery like discovery plus merged mega app and here's the part of the show where i bust out some hot takes uh but the hot take i have is not nate related to the name the name is god awful it is really bad like peacock is up there but max is worse max max is pretty awful it should have been like warner plus or discover movies discovery max even is discovery max is better Um, but i see a lot of people upset and understandably so about them dropping the hbo name of going from HBO to HBO Go to HBO Now to HBO Max. And people are upset that there's like, it has decades of prestige and um, and top quality programming going, you do from a television perspective. I completely understand the name brand of HBO being a selling point. However, here's where the hot takes come in. 
<laughs> I think it was a smart move to drop the HBO branding. Yeah, no, and I'll give here's them that. why. People that have HBO are already familiar with this, and they already have the service. They're trying to catch up with Hulu, with Disney Plus, with Netflix, and the best way to do that is to convey that this is everything. I know a lot of people that still, when HBO Max launched, just thought it was a different version of HBO, which to be fair, when it first launched, it was just an alternate version of HBO. Uh, But it has such a great library that people might just think it's another version of HBO, but in reality, it's the Warner's library. It's going to be the Discovery library. But the biggest thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking because they love the HBO content, and I do too for the most part. Last of Us was fantastic. Game of Thrones can be good. The people watching HBO, by and large, are adults. Mm -hmm. HBO, with this merger with Discovery, is trying to reach everyone. And for better or for worse, because of its prestige, adult-oriented content, the name HBO was always going to alienate a certain fan base, rightly or wrongly. I, when HBO Max first launched, I was telling my parents, this thing's on there, this thing's on there, it's great. And they're just like, but it's HBO. Isn't that like adult content? I'm like, yeah, no, they have other stuff. Oh, yes. But like HBO is HBO and Skinamax is always known for like the more adult content. But yes. you're just like, they, they have all the the Scooby-Doo stuff, the children's animated stuff. Um, yeah, I don't remember if they still do or not. They have like Sesame Street. They have all this family content. But to me, that's always been like one of their big glaring weaknesses is their kids section was always a little weak compared to Disney Plus or even Netflix. Netflix has a pretty good kids department. Both Netflix and Disney Plus have a more robust library. And up until this point, HBO has really been targeting that like, 25 to 45 year old demographic of either um, young married couples or like this is what you watch when you put your kids to bed. HBO and Warner Bros. Discovery are trying to reach a broader audience and I know dropping the HBO name is going to piss the people off but I understand their reasoning for doing it. You need to make it broader because mm-hmm. you need to reach more people. That was the thing, is you mishandled the launch, and we'll talk about what this new app and everything entails, but I think they did need to rebrand it. Is Max a good name? Heck no. No, <laughs> no it's not. <laughs> Max is a terrible name. But I understand, and I agree with the decision to drop the HBO part of it. It was prestige yes. television that's still well-known for Emmy Award-winning content, but not always for family oriented content and they needed to express that there were just more than the Sopranos type. Yeah. Which is because like, you know, for those that don't know, most of the Studio Ghibli library is on HBO Max. There is a ton of OG um, Adult Swim and Cartoon Network content on there. There's a there's a lot of stuff on there. And I, I think dropping the HBO absolutely gives people the, the opportunity to be like, oh, okay, so maybe this isn't just HBO. Maybe there is some other stuff on there. Um, I hate that name. I hate the name Max. There were so many other cool options. Discovery Max, Disc- Discovery Movies, Disc- like Warner Plus even, even though Warner Plus feels like a cop-out. Um, all that is better than Max. Um, I can see the tr- I can see the marketing though. 
uh, take your streaming to the max. Like, oh, come. I hate it because I can see I hate it, it too. It, it would work so well, and I but I hate it because of that. Um, let's get into though, kind of the all the the other stuff they announced along with the app. Um, the uh, well, we've kind of already talked about the Harry Potter show that they have announced. Uh, they, that they also announced along with this app. Um, I'm gonna dig my heels in. I think it's a bad decision. I think it's a stupid decision. Um, I think. Uh, there's a, I've seen a lot of rumors that uh, they are using this as an opportunity to quote unquote force Emma Watson and a Harry, uh, not Harry, gosh, dude, uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert. Don't know the things, gosh, dang uh, it. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that's like uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, like apologist, like, yes, like he's done so much good stuff. Um, I've seen those rumors. I don't think they're true, but that I would also not be surprised. Um, I, hate the idea of a harry potter show um yes it's been close to over a decade since the since the movies um i don't care i think i now that i've read the books and seen the movies i honestly the movies do a darn good job of adapting all of the content that is in the books uh because for as much as i love you you book nerds because i am one of you 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 are me (laughs) we are the same um not everything that you read in a book translates well to a script to a screen. It's why, like the the first season of the uh, the Wheel of Time on Amazon, um, does it it's dra- it drags uh, hardcore and it's not good because the to go from a word to word adaptation, it the pacing's off, that the visuals are off. It just it does not work. I will always dig my heels in i think a harry potter show based on the books is a bad idea um i am open to doing other shows like a hair in in the harry potter world i'm open to doing a i don't maybe an actual modern harry potter movie but they won't because the lore doesn't work anyway uh that's a whole nother bag of worms but yeah i i just don't i don't know about you but i just don't I don't care for a Harry Potter reboot. Yeah, it, it's too soon. Like, if we're talking about Moana being too soon, it's too soon for Harry Potter as well. Um, I will talk about the Penguin thing last year because they also dropped a teaser for the upcoming The Penguin series, which will also yeah. be in the Matt Reeves universe. I want to talk briefly about the app itself. I applaud Warner Bros. Discovery. Again, we're apologists for it, more or less. I think what the company is doing is they're making the hard choices that needed to be done for this long-term health of the company um but i also will openly acknowledge that i appreciate when they say oh yeah we done goofed we screwed some stuff up they openly acknowledge that we launched it at not its best because when hbo max launched it was a garbage app like it had a decent like aesthetic for a user interface Mm -hmm. but it was so slow a lot of the features that they promised weren't there like i remember they were like we're gonna have like a celebrities pick section of like this is what Zac Efron's playlist looks like, or this is what Zendaya's playlist looks like of what they're currently watching that you can also watch on HBO Max. That feature was never really there. Um, 4K was always an afterthought to them, which I was just like, mm-hmm. you are so far behind in that. I get the HBO as a system, and like HBO Go and Now and whatnot, we're always like limited to HD, so they very slowly introduced 4K titles, but never to the level that they really should have. But Warner Brothers Discovery was very open with that. Of like, yeah, 
we launched with not a great app and we've been trying to improve it ever since but i feel like hbo max the big thing holding it back is the quality of the app itself which is mm-hmm. why we've gotten some updates but i feel like they've never fully committed to updating the app because they've got this other big thing coming um, next month they said it's coming like may 23rd so if you already have hbo max i believe it's just going to roll over it's like 10 bucks for ad free 15 bucks for uh limited ads and 20 bucks for no ads um and 4k so i'm just i'm going straight to the 20 bucks and i know some people are like it's so expensive that's netflix with 4k but also like you're getting discovery with hbo mm-hmm. max and given that my family ha- already has both of those and the, to combine their 20 bucks it's not really that different like it's it's just gonna be one mm-hmm. bill as opposed to two separate bills um i'm very curious to see they didn't i don't think they actually showed what the ui for this will look like like i think disney plus and netflix are the two standouts for like user interfaces for streaming services yeah um, paramounts is pretty good i like yeah. paramounts the I worst do. though everyone's and i've everyone i've seen is in agreement amazon's is the worst amazon oh, yeah. is the god-awful worst streaming service in terms of just functionality in terms of content not bad it, it could definitely improve but it's a terrible function uh hbo max has gotten better but i think there's a lot of room for growth and improvement and i i'm hoping this relaunch is what we've been waiting for because like i said we've gotten some updates on the app itself for hbo max but i'm really hoping for They've been holding back for this new app, I I hope is what the case is. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I What's interesting, too, is that I, I think now thinking about it, I use HBO Max more than most of my other services just because more of what I want to watch is on HBO Max. Um, I'm going to say this now, though. I do not like the the, the Netflix interface. Maybe really? it's in my settings or something like that, but I hate the autoplay feature. I do I hate, hate that. I, do I hate, hate that. that. Like, I can't just silently sco- go from thing to thing. It's got to play me a trailer. It's got to play me a scene or something. Like, I appreciate it and I understand why it's there, but I hate that it auto automatically does that. And now, you know, I can hear, I can probably hear some people in the comments being like, yo, just change your settings. Like, I hear you. Um, but I shouldn't have to. <laughs> I shouldn't have to go to my settings to turn off an annoying feature. Um, but yeah, I, I also am pretty excited about like the potential of what we could be looking at at a new HBO Max, especially with Discovery. As someone who has never had the Discovery app, but loves nature documentaries, uh, I am excited and to Guy see the, that whole section. Let's go, guy! Like, dude, you're telling me I can get every season of Guy Fieri, uh, the Triple D? Like, come on! I would be. I'm here for it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it it should be fun. I regardless, we'll see what happens. Um, the the that penguin trailer. I I know you and I said a little bit, but that penguin trailer cracked me up because it was like for something that is just in pre in production. You sure have a lot of finished finished footage yeah let's let's talk about that briefly it looks even better than i was expecting like Mm -hmm. i after the batman i was like i'm pretty hyped for this show it looks pretty good but it looks so good like it looks like like a sopranos level quality but it still looks very much like it fits in the batman universe but just without batman and that's Mm -hmm. actually a good thing just flesh out this world more um 
was about to say, are we going to see Carmine Falcone? But then I remember, you know, he dies in the Batman. That's the whole catalyst of the story. Um, maybe we get other people. Maybe like a Tony Zuko. I would, if we get Tony Zuko, because of potential connections that that could create down the road for other characters to show up, I would, I would love that. Um, there's plenty of mobsters to pick from. You know who could be fun, uh, but it would really be going for the crazier side of things. Ventriloquist. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was gonna like, say Zaz. I was like, let's give me some Zaz. Zaz. We can, <laughs> I mean, Gotham did Zaz, and it wasn't too bad. Not the greatest though. But ventriloquist of like maybe have like mm-hmm. a dude that's got some weird mental disorder that he has to talk through a puppet, so to speak. I'm very curious to see how Matt Reeves would approach ventriloquist. He's not like top tier character, but I don't know why. But in, ter- in terms of this like crime drama, that could be interesting. Of like you could have some up and comer guy that's just like he's a puppet. I'm not listening to a puppet, and then you just see him get mowed down by the puppet. While the guy controlling him is just completely stoic and like completely comatose, I think that could be interesting. Just spitballing here. That'd be Matt wild. Reeves, call it really me. would be. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, Clayface, whatever. Um, <laughs> the well, uh, huh, we know yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna be a thing, guys. Uh, but I think yeah, ventriloquist could be fun. Um, I want to say, I don't think this is his name, but the Tinkerer, the guy that creates all the Spider-Man. There's a not, yeah, that's Spider-Man. But there's the guy in the in the Batman Rogues that's like, he creates like dolls and stuff like that. Uh, Is it the Doll Maker or um, that's um, the Doll Maker? Somebody, Uh, I think Professor Pig. Oh, uh, oh, oh, yes. Uh, can we just also like uh, shout out to Colin for like making a waddle look intimidating? Um, screw you, dude. That's not fair. You don't get to be that talented. Um, <laughs> save some for the rest of us, man. Um, he looks great in this. In this, he lo- everything looks. It just looks like Matt Reeves did it. Like it, it genuinely does. And he's directing the pilot, if I remember right. Okay, cool. Well, I'm down for that. Let's go. <laughs> Before we get into our main discussion, this week's episode is sponsored by T Public. As per usual, your one-stop shop for all things Uncharted Media merch, whether it's t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, whatever you want with the Uncharted Media logo or other fantastic designs or tinfoil hat theory shirt. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Amazon. And also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Help us go to 1,000 subscribers now. Let's talk about our favorite thing that we always look forward to nowadays in movies just because it seems like it's been the standard for quite a few years now. Post-credit scenes. But in doing research for this episode, I forgot how long post-credit scenes have been a thing. Like, yeah, same. Um, also, they actually have to be some point during the credits, like mid-credits or post-credits. It can't be the end of a movie. So Freddy Krueger's uh, hand coming up and snatching Jason's mask at the end of Jason Goes to Hell to set up Freddy versus Jason does not count because that happened in the movie proper, not a post-credit scene. Um, I believe I have like fourteen or fifteen. I have plenty. Hey, it's a re- this is a reverse of last week. I've got like ten max. <laughs> and here's the thing: I have one, two, two point five, I guess, three, four comic book movies. Like yeah, looking at my I list, I was just like, as well, yeah. Uh, there's some that I really like, but for all of us comic book fans, 
that get hyped for Marvel post-credit scenes, in the grand scheme of things, like sitting back and looking back on them, like seeing like, oh, this is all however many there are, a lot of them kind of suck more than you yeah. think. Like they've got some anticipation when you initially see them, but sitting back on them, a lot of them aren't as exciting as you think. But some of them are deeply personal, and we'll get into those. Uh, this is a combination of just like overall best slash favorites, because some of these are blatantly biased favorites here. Um, but let's see, Josh. How do we want to do this? I've got comic book um, movies. I've got video game movies, action movies, and some old school stuff. Yeah, I... Uh... Before we get like really rolling, I need a shout out to the old the all the the gag reels that Pixar used to do oh, mid credits because technically those don't count for this list. It was just yeah, fine. I was tempted but, to, like, but I... gosh dang! Like I remember, like to me, that was the reason you stayed during the credits because, because Pixar did gag reels. Now they like, don't do that Bye-bye. anymore. Bye <laughs> Okay, has everyone left? Oh man, I can stop smiling now. My cheeks are killing me. <laughs> there's or like even just like the the way that they made the characters feel like actual like actual actors it was so fun um i really i i genuinely miss that like the entire like all those bits at the end of um uh, monsters inc are so funny uh there's yeah there's so many good ones uh i just wanted to get those out of the way before we dive in there do you want to go ahead and get the comic book movie ones out of the way sure but also as you mentioned that, also honorable mention to a whole bunch of Jackie Chan ones. That yeah, what I love is showing is Jackie Chan always shows like the missteps in the stunts that just like show you how many takes it takes. Um, mm-hmm. um, what's the movie where he's sitting like leaning back in his chair and he kicks up a pencil and he catches it or something like that? Like to uh, show you could you described literally almost every Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> well, we might need a whole episode about Jackie Chan at some point, but. What I love is he always states in interviews, people are just like, oh, man, those stunts are so incredibly difficult. He's like, no, they're not. You could do them. You just need to be patient with them, be willing to do it a whole bunch of times to get it right. He's like, it's not hard. You just have to be willing to do like a hundred bad okay. takes. Okay. He says this. As he like, like fights with a ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the one where he he slides down the pole and gets the electric it's electrocuted all the way down. Yep. The one, the Ooh, the the one where he's sliding down the side of a building like a hundred f- the side of a building a hundred feet up yeah I mean you're right that's not difficult but <laughs> Jackie not everybody can do that so okay so I've got one two three four technically five there's two that I kind of lump together um mm. we'll do with my first Marvel animated project first and only Marvel Ooh. animated project. Because people seem to forget that this is a Marvel movie, and it really is Big Hero 6. Yay! To which, if you're a Marvel property, you know what that means. If he's not in the movie proper, Stan Lee has to have a cameo somewhere, and it's at the very end credits (laughs) with Fred, who, you know, this is back when we were allowed to like that actor. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, now I forget what his name is. It's the same dude from Ready Player One and some other stuff. But this whole time, we're led to believe that Fred yeah. has a very rich family that we never really see. But this whole time, we see like this like family portrait of him looking like a goof, and you see his like old dad like in a nice like almost Hugh Hefner leisure suit with an ascot, 
and you're like, looks suspiciously like Stan Lee. That's a fun cameo, at least. Um, and at the end, it's actually Stan Lee voicing the character that looks like Stan Lee. He's like, you flip your underwear out inside out just like me, too? Huzzah! You get more usage out of that. I'm just like, <laughs> aside from Teen Titans Go to the Movies, this is the most random use of Stan Lee, and I kind of love it so much. Again, we could sing Big Hero 6's praises all the day long, but I, I love that they're like, yeah, this is still technically a Marvel distributed movie. It's not an MCU movie, but it, it is based off a Marvel comic series, so it's a Marvel movie. So Stan, get in there. You're getting paid either way. You're contractually obligated to be a voice actor here. <laughs> which is uh yeah gosh i miss i I do miss stan like his cameos are gonna be the thing that i miss the most about marvel movies um all right let's go uh i'm gonna do the obvious one um in the theaters at the time as a kid that first iron man one it, it is pretty cool it's pretty cool uh i'm most of these are gonna be like stuff that from like at the time they was it was really really cool uh having samuel jackson come out and like for me as a kid i didn't know they announced all this stuff at comic you know at at the panels i was not aware so i so when they were like yeah avengers initiative i was like oh what that's awesome let's go now if nathan's making a face so i think he's about to throw me under the bus here oh no I'm throwing myself under the bus here. So I do have Iron Man as one of mine. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those uh, Nathan was stupid type of moments. Um, Would you put Iron Man 2? <laughs> oh, there was no Iron Man 2. We just went straight to Iron Man 3, just like how there's no 13th floors in, ho- in hotels. Um, so I had Iron Man on my iPod Classic <laughs> for many a years. The movie came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. I discovered that there was an end credits for this movie in 2011. I'm so proud of you. So, <laughs> like, I'd seen the trailers for Avengers coming out next year and everything else. Like, we're all getting hyped up. And everyone's just like, ever since that post credit scene at the end of the first Iron Man. And I'm just going, wait, what, what post credit scene at the end of Iron Man? So I literally pull up my iPod classic and just go, there was a scene at the end of Iron Man. Like, dad. Don't you know that there's a scene at the end of Iron Man? Which is, what's the weird thing is, though, I saw all the other ones. I saw Incredible Hulk in theaters. I saw Thor mm-hmm. in theaters. I saw Captain America in theaters. Mm-hmm. And we stayed for the post-credits on all those. But for some reason, I just didn't think with the first Iron Man. It just never clicked <laughs> in my head. I was That's like, great. oh, man, that first end credits in um, Incredible Hulk, when when Iron Man shows up, they're like, we're teasing something big. That's back when they were planning on the Hulk being the villain in the Avengers movie. It never dawned on me because I wasn't on social media at the time. I I was completely out of the bubble. I was just like, wait, there's something at the end of Iron Man? So when Nick Fury shows up, he's like, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. I'm like, yeah, that, that's Nick Fury. We've seen him in a couple movies by now. <laughs> oh! oh! Yeah, dude, we know this. What are you talking about? You're late yeah, to the like party, it's Nick. not surprising when he's already been in the universe for a couple of years at this point. I'm still to this day kicking myself going, you dingus like you stayed for the rest of them also some of them are good like um captain america's ties in perfectly to avengers with the tesseract and everything else thor's still confuses me to this day of at the end of thor we see a little clip from 
uh, no, we see uh, Nick Fury with the Tesseract and Dr. Selvig's there. And she's like, what does this look like, Doctor? Well, let's take a look. And you see Loki next to him reflected in the mirror go, let's take a look. Like, okay, so is Selvig being possessed by Loki? It doesn't go anywhere in Avengers. Like, when Loki shows no, it up. Doesn't. He, that's okay. when he possesses Selvig. Like it does. You could tell in the early MCU, it doesn't all connect. Like yeah, Thunderbolt Ross and Iron Man teaming up to potentially take down the Hulk, or Loki mind controlling Selvig before he's even met Selvig, type of thing. Dude, I so and here's the thing too is when I saw that I was I popped. I was like, "Yo, what is going on? That's so cool!" Like you know, I, I hadn't been watching movies for that long, so I was like, I wasn't you know being critical about the thinking on it, but I was like, "That's wait, so is it is it Loki?" I, to me, I was like, "Okay, cool. So that is Loki. Okay, that's fun." Um, but I remember popping hard in the theater when I saw that. I've, and honestly, some of the ones that I'm going to talk about, that's that's kind of the reaction I'm going to go off of. Um, so let's go in. Oh, my other one that was tied to at least. I mean, do you, do you want to do one before I drop another one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just because with the MCU. I think Iron Man is important. And that's why it was on my list. It's mm-hmm. not my favorite, but it is single-handedly probably the most important post-credit scene we will talk about today. Of, I think honestly that set the standard for. Yes, there had been post-credit scenes before that, but in terms of like hooking you for the next movie, really kind of became a staple after Iron Man. Like, yeah, you had yeah. like He-Man, Masters of the Universe, doing it with a weird Skeletor resurrection, but like this was the first successful movie to tease future things. Um, the other one that I think is important for the MCU, even if it means nothing, is the combination of shawarma, but the introduction of a very purple Thanos, clearly not played by Josh Brolin yet. Um, The funny thing is, again, Marvel did not have everything mapped out at the beginning. When they're making Avengers, Joss Whedon just asked Kevin Feige, hey, can I have a Thanos tease at the end? And Kevin's just like, yeah, sure, I guess. Like, uh, we're not doing anything with Thanos. And Joss Whedon's just like, all right, here's Thanos. And then they went from there, and every nerd in the world is just going, who's that? It's th- I, th- I think uh, Google, quick. It's Thanos. Hey, it's everyone. It's it's Thanos. Get excited for Thanos. Like, we all pretended to know who Thanos was. Obviously, we're more in the know now, but... um. Can we just, like, you know, give credit to Kevin Feige for that now instead? Like, that was yeah. totally Kevin Feige's idea. No one else is whatsoever. <laughs> you want to talk about, uh, yeah, end credits that end up going nowhere and that make no sense but are really cool in the moment. Um, Age of Ultrons with, with, with Thanos, where he puts the glove on, which is uh, super cool. Is it the fake one or the real oh, I- one? That, that's well that's the one where he's like I, i'll fine i'll do it myself no is that the fake gauntlet or the real gauntlet i don't think we're it's it d- doesn't matter if that's never explained in, in it so it's like okay cool yeah, remember um hella knocks over the gauntlet because again they didn't think things over so the gauntlet is in thor's in odin's like vault or whatever and everyone's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, infinity yeah. gauntlet and kim fuck is like no it's not no it's not um uh, we done goofed um what oh was that Age of Ultron? Cause when, that's Age when of I think, Ultron. What's the... Because uh, that's, that's the, the one where, he, where we like, introduced Wanda and Pietro. That is um, that is uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier. I have that one. That one I like. Really? I like, 
I liked a lot at the time. Same kind of same thing with the Age of Ultron one, where it seemed like getting start getting hyped for for Thanos when he's like, "Fine, I'll do do it myself," and he puts it on, and you're like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And then you leave the theater and you're talking about the movie and how terrible it was, and then you're like, "Wait, what does he mean? Fine, I'll do it by my I'll do it myself." Has Thanos been behind all of this? And then you know we finally get to Endgame and uh, and Infinity War and. Yeah, that never comes up ever again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So I have one more MCU one. And also, it's my favorite post credit scene ever. So keep that in mind. It's not the best, but it's my favorite by a wide margin. It's just in terms of how much joy and glee it brings me. Captain America Civil Wars post credit scene. In which case... We see a young, plucky Tom Holland return home from his German German expressionist fight. We'll go with that. That's, that's what I'm going to label the airport fight as now. And Aunt May just slabs a steak on his eye. She's like, you get beat up pretty good? He's like, oh, yeah, you should see the other guy. I'm like, eh, eh, giant man. That's funny. Um, but he, like, folded his arm really quick because he was messing with some of the new Spider-Man equipment that Tony gave him. So uh, Aunt May leaves, and he, like, opens it up. And in that moment, now before like he crosses his arms, something like some light flicks on. And in that moment, I just go, that's, that's not what I think it is, is it? And so he crosses his arms, and when she leaves, the camera slowly pans up to reveal the single most beautiful thing ever seen in the MCU that has yet to return, unfortunately. <laughs> it's never <laughs> once come back like, into play, and I don't care. Does it make any it, sense it whatsoever? Does. I don't care. But we pan up, and it's the spider signal. And I lost my mind because, for multiple multitude of reasons, I grew up reading the classic Stan Lee and Ditko run of Spider-Man, along mm-hmm. with some of the Ultimate stuff. And that's they embraced the stupid campiness of that. I'm like, yeah. Spider-Man's got a light that emits from his belt. It's weird, but I don't care. I was like, I've, I've always wanted the spider signal in live action form, but I never thought I'd get it. Um, so that kind of was the first hint of, no, no, Marvel's going to treat Spider-Man different this time around. And mm-hmm. despite my tumultuous relationship with how the MCU has handled Spider-Man at times, when it was all said and done at the end of No Way Home, I'm going, gosh dang it, you guys actually did have a plan for this, and you actually did structure the story perfectly the other reason that i was very emotionally attached to the spider signal is without delving too much into spoilers for josh's eventual uh arrival there's a spider-man ride at universal and the beginning of the ride shows the spider signal and that's like the start of the ride it's j Jonah jameson going you see that the spider signal with that Oh, with Spider-Man nearby, trouble can't be far away. And you know what that means? Headlines, national coverage. So don't screw this up. So I'm just, I always have this memory in my head of the Spider-Man ride is one of my all-time favorite rides. And it's the spider signal. Takes me back to my youth. Takes me back to um, the Spider-Man ride at Universal. Never thought we'd get the spider signal. I don't care that it never went anywhere. The spider signal is retro Spider-Man. And I've always liked retro Spider-Man. I need it to come back, please, now that he's a street-level villain again and everything's been stripped away from him. Is it the best MCU postcard scene in terms of relevance? No. no. Is it the one that made me the most happy? By a long shot. I love J.K. Simmons returning at the end of Far From Home. That was mm-hmm. cool. 
I had the biggest, dumbest grin because of just how the, the Spider-Man is treated in Civil War. He was perfect. The post-credit was perfect. And Civil War is, you know, just perfect. Isn't it, Josh? No. So, anyway. Uh, Captain how they the, treat I... Spider-Man is perfect. Oh, yeah. Okay. I will give you that. Yes. Uh, there are so many other issues with Civil War, though. Uh Gosh, man. Um, you know, maybe one day I just need to like sit down and break it all down and why I hate that movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the today is not that day. Uh, I want to get the Captain America Winter Soldier one out of the way before I do my final one too. Um, the so at the time again, some of these have to be within a context because I've learned so much about the movie industry and stuff like that since then. Um, but I obviously like some people did not realize that marvel did not own the mutants and did not own the those kinds of those kinds of characters so when i saw scarlet witch and and uh quicksilver show up and characters who i know are children of, of magneto i i popped i was like yo we're gonna get we're doing we're doing mutants we're doing mutants now all right cool that's so cool i'm so excited oh my eight gosh, years I'm later we're still waiting yeah, still waiting. Um, and, you know, Quicksilver, unfortunately, became the biggest waste of a character by no fault of his own. Um, I don't mind um, that quick, that version of quick, Quicksilver. I just think it kind of sucks that they just use him quite literally as a meat shield. Um, I think it's and funny then, that we were all determined that Aaron Taylor Johnson was going to be the good Quicksilver and that yes. Evan Peters was going to be the crappy Quicksilver just based Poor off God. the costumes. Yes. And then we saw him we're just like, oh, no. Evan Peters is the best speedster ever. Yeah, absolutely. But like seeing that like pop me hard, I was super excited about that. But honestly, my favorite Marvel post credit scene is from Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> with Howard the Duck. Oh, I love how I love it. I love it so much. I like just the idea that 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 Howard the Duck is in the like in the universe somewhere is it's so great. I'd honestly would I would be surprised if he doesn't show up in some capacity in volume three. Um, I just because I mean, you're telling me we get cosmic the space the space dog like in Cosmo. Cosmo. And, yeah, sorry. Uh, and you're not going to bring Howard the Duck in ever. OK, sure. Whatever. But I just. I remember watching Howard the Duck as a teenager with a group of teenagers and being collectively horrified. Uh, so like, yeah. <laughs> so like seeing him in like a lot, quote unquote, live action status, uh, you know, scene was hilarious. And I, I love that so much, but yeah, uh, thankfully that is the end of our Marvel ones. Uh, and I only have one more comic book one, actually. There you go. And uh, technically I, I only have, I guess a, Technically, this is the definition of <laughs> don't don't catch your chickens before they hatch. They definitely put the mm -hmm. cart before the horse. And Josh knows where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. For the sheer level of joy that this post credit scene brought me, it's absolutely on the list in terms of going nowhere. If anything, it makes me more mad because without it, you wouldn't have got my hopes up for something. And that is the post credits for Black Adam. You know. The whole reason people actually went to see this movie. They didn't go to see Black Adam. They all went yeah. to see because you more or less leaked the post credit scene before the movie came out. And as much as I like Henry Cavill's Superman, 
I think the box office results for Black Adam show that it was the correct move to reboot because people love Henry Cavill, mm-hmm. but I <laughs> sucks to say, but clearly it shows that they didn't care that much enough with his iteration of the character. That yeah. being said, God, I wish I didn't have social media sometimes to yeah. fully actually embrace that surprise because like everyone knew going into that movie more or less except for my dad who doesn't have social media but like um he kind of could sense that something was off as soon as like black adam like broke the the drone or whatever that waller sends and you just see some cape goes and he's just like they're not going to are they because like him like me we saw shazam and we're just like they're just gonna have the headless thing because that the way that they did it was actually pretty clever. Of he comes in to frame with his head yeah. in the shadow, so you're just like, oh, they're gonna chop his head off again. But then they do the John Williams, dur, 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 dur. and I've seen some people complain that they're just like, why did they go with the nostalgia and go with that instead of the Hans Zimmer? I interpreted that as the Hans Zimmer is the Man of Steel slash. I'm not the fully realized version of this character yet, mm-hmm. but now. My yellow is brighter. I actually have color in my face. I have the spit curl. He just looked perfect. The, he is the Superman. And also, for the general audience, they are still more familiar with the dun, 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 than the Man of Steel music. I love both Great. equally. But I think there's still more of that general familiarity with the classic Superman music. That being said, James Gunn is not sticking with that. I'm very curious no. to see what music they go with. Um yeah, it was a great post-credit scene that went nowhere through Dwayne's own fault, and uh, I I wish him nothing but harm. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Um, he sabotaged two <laughs> movies. That's that's impressive. Uh, my last comic book ish uh, one. Uh, um, it's a twofer. I lo- I love a good twofer. Uh, but Deadpool is the, the the movie that like of all movies would just you know rip off from other movies, but it's still hilarious. Um, and that, of course, I'm talking about of the it's over, go home in the Ferris Bueller days off slash Deadpool post credit scene. Um, for those that don't know, he in Ferris Bueller's day off at the end of the credits, he comes out in a bathrobe and goes, "What are you just, what are you still doing here? It's over, go home." And so, of course, naturally, Deadpool does the same thing. <laughs> Because why not? So uh, it, it's it's great. I I did enjoy it because for Deadpool especially, it like solidifies the like this is just a movie for him, and he's just, we're just here to, to to enjoy it. Funny you mention that because I have Ferris Bueller's Day Off on my yeah. list. Because again, we've got a couple old school ones like Marvel did not invent the post credit scene. They yeah, just I think is, popularized it. Yeah, more or less like. We got quite a few older movies on the list today. Um, but yeah, Ferris Bueller's has that great Matthew Broderick coming out in a robe. Why are you here? The movie's over. Go home. Like, yeah, Deadpool <laughs> did it, and it was a funny parody. But let's fully acknowledge the original version as well. Fair enough. Like, fair enough. Um, I think Ferris Bueller is is fine. It's definitely a movie of its time that I don't know if it holds up as well as people. Oh, it does not. I've watched it recently. It does not hold up. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine, but it was never one of my favorites. It's one of those of like, 
it's gonna sound horrible, but it's kind of like the Goonies of like if you didn't grow up watching it, I don't yeah. know if you'll have the same yeah. level of nostalgia for it. Like I, I'm just not the biggest fan of the Goonies, but I know a good chunk of people that are. Uh, yeah, Ferris Bueller's is just <laughs> movie's over. Go and that, that's that's pretty <laughs> clever for a time that they didn't really do it. So I'll go with some of my other old school ones here. Um, Ferris Bueller's was not the first comedy to put one last joke at the very, very end. True, true. There is one movie in particular known as the greatest dad comedy of all time, Airplane. Oh, dude, I was holding on to this one. I love this joke so much. You'll see this as a theme. Like, I love movies that, like, will just... Insert a joke that goes nowhere in the beginning of the movie, and then at the end of the credits, we bring it back. Um, yes, the airplane post-credit scene is Chef's Kiss, so good because I you forget about it. You forget so about what the happens. Setup. So at the beginning of the film, after the entire um, loading and unloading zone joke, uh, our main character who's driving a taxi to make money um, pulls up to the airport, and somebody hops in, and he goes, "Okay." You know, I'll take you, but I got to do a uh, do a do an air, uh, like an errand first, and then starts the ticker, starts the starts the count, and then runs into the, into the airport. To which the guy's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and then we don't do it; we never see him again until the post credit when you know the the credits are done rolling, and then it just kind of. It goes back to the taxi, and he's still sitting there, and the counter's still going. I'll give him 20 more minutes. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good. We said Ferris Bueller's doesn't hold up as well as people remember. Airplane holds up. I love bad puns so much. Um, What do you make of this? I can make a hat. I can make it a brooch. I can make it a boat. I had I, I chose the wrong the wrong day to quit smoking glue, sniffing glue, sniffing glue. I've got a drinking problem, huh? <laughs> it's oh my god! If there's Airplane anything that doesn't hold up, it's the old woman speaking jive and the random okay. boobs that appear for no I apparent mean, reason. Fair. But the jive thing still gets me because it's like. There, there really was a time in, in, in when white people thought that like black people only talked in jive. And it's so funny to me that I think the only reason it's still funny to me is that it's the Brady Bunch mom that's doing it. And it's it, like if Betty White did it. Actually, if Betty White so did it, I'd funny. believe it. Oh, yeah. The uh, the amount of times every time he tells his story, somebody they, it always ends. He, the section of the story always ends with the person that he's telling the story to like offs themselves. So funny. Uh, surely there's something you could do. There's nothing I could do. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. It's the so Shirley good. thing is still a recurring joke in my family. You cannot say Absolutely. that word without without that eliciting various Dude. responses. Oh my gosh! Um, She's like teaching how to use Tupperware to to like this tribe in like the middle of nowhere, and these Tupperware will help with the monsoon months to keep fruit food food fresh. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so my other, yeah, looking at this, the rest of them are kind of newer movies. My other old school movie is also the one that I've got a mini rant for. I put this on this list because I know a lot of people put this in their best of. I put this whole movie in my I have very conflicted feelings, but I especially hate the finale for this movie. 
Um, before he did Harry Potter, um, which we might talk about in a little bit here, um, Christopher Columbus, the guy that did Home Alone, did a movie called Young America. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and I'm very conflicted about this movie. So for those that don't know, Young Sherlock Holmes is a story about a young Sherlock Holmes at a boarding school and John Watson appears one day. They go to school together for a little bit. I'm just like, but as a Sherlock Holmes fan, this breaks all forms of canon whatsoever to the point of the movie at the beginning and at the end have a disclaimer saying this is just a glorified fan fiction. Do not count this as an adaptation or else we will get in trouble. <laughs> so, like it's actually in the movie. I'm just going good yeah. because you're blasphemous. Um, it just some parts of it work, but also like it is Temple of Doom levels of scary and effed up. Like you expect for a, a kid Sherlock Holmes that are just like someone's stealing something from the pantry or laundering money from the school. No, no, there's a cult that sacrifices students in the basement of the building by burning them alive with scolching with scalding hot um wax or water like boiling hot water and we see someone be burned alive while like this person sacrificing them is wearing a giant anubis head and just going pg okay um but (laughs) ratings really didn't matter back in the day man (laughs) everything's made up and the points don't matter but basically um sherlock and watson are like friends or whatever but they have a, a teacher that they're that sherlock looks up to it's his good friend and whatnot but we find out that he's the cult leader. I'm going, okay, whatever, whatever. Um, And so after a fight, Sherlock Holmes, you know, teenager Sherlock Holmes, beats this full-grown, like, 40-something adult and, like, throws him in the water or something to his death. Well, the post credit scene is the same guy kind of pulling a Hugh Jackman and the prestige and showing up to a random hotel in Colorado and signing in the guest book, as you guessed it, Professor James Moriarty, to which the, the first time I saw that, I'm pretty sure I raged and left the room. And my parents were just so confused. They're just like, what? I'm just like, no, that is not how Moriarty is portrayed. He's more or less around the same age. Yes, he's a professor, but Sherlock and Moriarty barely have that much history. This whole thing ruins the Sherlock Holmes canon. It makes no sense. It's worse than Tumblr fan fiction. Christopher Columbus, you're better than this. Do better than this. I hate this movie so much. It's it's As a movie, it's fine. But as a Sherlock Holmes movie, it is hot garbage. And the fact that they didn't set him up to be Moriarty whatsoever. They're just like, he's got an actual name. He's got an actual story. But shoehorning the Moriarty connection at the very, very end felt so cynical i'm just like god this this is just you have to do this don't you you just have to force this together even though it makes no sense and it's still to this day bothers me my mom is like oh yeah i like that movie i'm going i hate it so much <laughs> i've never seen it <laughs> i think you'll enjoy it more than me but you'll be like yeah this is dark no no no, no. This the, is dark. just the, the sheer fact that they that, that it's just like a Kind of a fan affection for Sherlock. I'd hate it. I'd hate it's it like so much. It's like a pup named I... Scooby-Doo almost. Of, you want to see him when they're in junior high? No. Yeah. No, I don't. I really don't. No. What? No. <laughs> so, now that I think about it, now that we're on the topic, another Chris Columbus-directed movie is one yeah. that I like considerably more than this. That Josh may forget is actually a thing that we can talk about. Harry Potter. 
And Josh is going, what? Harry Potter has a post-credit scene? Yeah, I don't remember her post-credit scenes. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets sure as heck does. What? Josh hasn't seen this scene. Yes. Okay, no, okay, to be fair, I probably have, but like I I I have concussion brain. I don't remember. Harry Potter that. and the Chamber of Secrets is the only Harry Potter with a post-credit scene cuz I'm not counting the epilogue at the end of Deathly Hallows Part 2. So yeah, at no. the end credits of um Chamber of Secrets, we pan down to Diagon Alley again and there's a sign for a book signing and a, just it's a moving picture of Gilderoy Lockhart that says, "Who am I?" Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay, no, Gildor yeah, Lockhart got yet. obliviated, so he yeah. doesn't remember who he is. So just this little sign with an uber confused Kenneth Branagh going, "Who am I?" You're Jean Valjean. Um, that's <laughs> some other fantasy movie. Uh, but I'm, even as a kid, I'm going, "All right, that's clever." It's just weird that it's there's only one Harry Potter that has a post credit scene. Yeah. But it's got such a good joke that Kenneth Branagh could poke fun at himself that they put this scene in. Because it's not, well, we do see Gilderoy Lockhart again in the book. So we see him, like, for a brief second in, like, the fifth or sixth book when they go to the hospital when yeah, uh, Arthur like, Weasley gets attacked or something. And he's still yeah, kind of an idiot back. that doesn't remember anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the he's fact that we, like, circle back character. to it, I think it's just chef's kiss. I'm like, just, because he's such an insufferable character. Just, just kick him while he's down even more. I just kind of <laughs> love it. Yeah, and I I love that. I, uh, to me, that is uh, that's a great joke, and also that kind of confirmed to me as like a what uh, as an audience member that we're never going to see him again. And I was really happy about that. <laughs> I was like, thank goodness, because I cannot stand this guy. Not as bad as Umbridge. Mm, yeah. Well, so I at got least Umbridge seven more. Evil. How many more you got? <laughs> I got like five. Okay, I'll <laughs> knock out a couple more. I'll knock out my two video game ones. Uncharted's post-credit scene is better than its entire movie. Because <laughs> Uncharted's post-credit scene actually felt like they watched the game before they made it. Like, okay, here's another mini rant here. I swear, whoever directed the Uncharted post-credit scene is different than whoever directed the rest of the movie because the level of detail in the post-credit scene is simply astonishing. So... Essentially, what it is is Nathan Drake wearing his Francis Drake ring. He's talking to some criminal or whatever, trying to get some information potentially about the same gold that's in the very first Uncharted game. It, it's never fully stated, but it's implied. Also, Eddie Raja might be there because we see a gold gun, but it's never confirmed. Um, but they look like they're in the exact same restaurant that Nate and Sully first talked to each other in flashback scenes in Uncharted 3. The Location is spot on, right down to the posters on the wall are identical. Nate's wardrobe is exactly the same as it is in the game. Sully's wardrobe of the green Hawaiian shirt with the stripes on the center, that's exactly the same as it is in that scene. The mustache, something happened. I don't know what, but something happened with the mustache because I remember Mark Wahlberg sharing on Instagram, don't ask, don't effing ask, and he's wearing this big, huge, thick mustache. But in the movie, it's like a thin Walt Disney mustache. So I don't know what happened there. But that scene has the spirit and the energy of the original games with having an insane level of detail that follows the game. And then they make their escape, getting the information that they need, stealing something. And then as they leave, they get a gun in their face, like a gold gun. And then they just cut to black. So it's meant to potentially be Eddie Raja for the first game. Uh, and then in one of only... 
three times in the entire movie. Still pissed about this. They play the classic Uncharted music as the credits roll. I'm like, what? This is not the time to play it. They play the Uncharted theme. One, when Nolan North makes a quick cameo. They do like a flute version, which was that was fun. And when he when Nathan Drake puts on the gun straps, and then they cut that super quick. They only make it last for like 30 seconds, and it still bothers me to this day. It also bothers me tremendously that the Uncharted theme from the games is nowhere on the film's soundtrack at all. Like, no, not in any of the tracks, not even for a whole second. They go out of their way to not have it in there. It, hmm. It's not a bad movie, but it's not what it could have been. But the post credit scene, for some reason, does that weird trend of movies that put half effort in, and there's like, now nah, we're going to put full effort into the sequel. They put all their eggs in the in the post credit scene basket. They're like, next time, we'll be loyal. That's assuming you get a next time. Um... Yeah, the movie's fine, but the post-credits scene, for some reason, actually has great attention to detail and feels like an Uncharted movie. It's just what we wanted the whole time. Uh, the other one is a movie that I know Josh has seen, and we all kind of saw this coming a mile away, but it still made me happy, and especially made Heather happy, because besides, um, besides Yoshi, it's probably her favorite video game character ever, and that is the arrival of Tails at the end of the Sonic movie. When when Tails showed up, just not only that, but voiced by the original voice actress, you're just going, perfect. It's Tails. We didn't get Idris Elba's Knuckles casting yet. Uh, which, speaking of that, they're filming the Knuckles TV series now. And it's super, super exciting. Uh, but Tails showing up, y'all, it's magical. Tails is great. Loved him so much. And having them show up was like, yes. Uh, and without saying too much, Mario also kind of follows the same trajectory of, here's a fan favorite character. But I think Sonic does it a little better because it wasn't previously set up earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think Sonic, because Sonic is that, that one is Sonic one is on my list as well. Uh, it definitely do a good job of not, of making you as an audience member feel like you're not sure if they're going to go all the way over into that realm. Um, or if they're going to try to keep it like reality ish. Um, so when Tails shows up, it's a big deal, uh, which, you know, segues be great into the second one <laughs> because oh dude sonic 2 might be the, it depending on what the next movie is like right now is the best sonic movie ever made it is so good it there's is so two of them don't care um <laughs> they're so yeah both of them are super good uh this first one is better than it has any right to be especially of all of the craziness that leads up to it but in the second movie at the end of the trailer we dig we get this uh, i forget who's all the conversation about but they they're talking they find some like evidence of they're like hey well hey isn't this like some weird project military project that, that they kept secret for so long blah 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 and while they're talking they do a pan up of shadow in a and a tube and i i when i tell you i didn't think we were going to get a third one I didn't think we were, I, let alone get a second movie, but I de certainly didn't think we were going to get a third one, especially when they went so hard in the, in, in the second. Um, but you're telling me we're going to have a non Eggman controlled shadow in this, in the third movie. All right. Yeah. I'm here for it. Let's go. Absolutely. Let's go. I'm so stoked. 
I was happy. That was one of those of just like, there's a couple times that I was just like, maybe it's predictable to do this end credits, but I don't mm-hmm. care. And that was one of those. I was like, they really yeah. need to do shadow in the end credits. And when they do, it's like, yeah, one, I like being right. And two, I like when they just do the obvious pick. It's, it's, it's not hard to make us happy. Just give us yeah. what we want. Movie studios. We're not that demanding. And he, and he looks so good too. Is the oh, thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, because it would have been easy to just make it like a sonic model and then paint it black and white. Like it would have been black and white and some accents of red. Um, it would have been so easy, but the fact that they don't go, they they do make him his own kind of like model, character model. Gosh, I'm so excited to see how how it looks when he's keeping up with Sonic with his his jet shoes. Oh, he's gotta go so fast. Cool. I'm so excited about it. So I got five more. Um, okay, hit me with two more. <laughs> almost all of them are action, except for this one. This is a dramedy, more or less. The Disaster Artist. Dramedy. <laughs> have you never heard that? No, no I, I don't think I have. That's great. <laughs> okay, people at home, you know what a dramedy is, right? Like you, you no, 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 That's no, a no, common no, 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 phrase. We're not going to make this sound like I'm stupid, okay? No, 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 no. no. You did I that. Mean, you're, you have done I that am, yourself. Just because I am doesn't mean you can say it. Come on. No, the dramedy that is the disaster artist, which is the making of the room, essentially. And, you know, it's weird that the making of movie is better than the movie itself and almost won some Academy Awards. It's just a really good movie. But this is another one of those post-credit scenes that I didn't realize when I first saw it in theaters that there was a post-credit scene until much, much later. So uh, there's a scene where... James Franco, who's been playing Tommy Wiseau the entire movie, and honestly, doing a really good Tommy Wiseau, but never being like over the top with it. He he sounds like Tommy Wiseau, but never going into cartoonish territory, even though Tommy Wiseau sounds like a cartoon character. He's a cartoon. He's an absolute cartoon. But he's from New Orleans. Like it, it's just, it, No, he's not. There's he's, no way. He is an alien. <laughs> that man is an alien that was sent to observe the human race and make a movie about them and failed miserably. But in doing so created a disaster piece that we all still love to this day. Um, but the post credit scene, James Franco as um, as Tommy Wiseau is just chilling at this party when this weird dude in a in like a Three Musketeers mustache just shows up. He's just like, why are you by yourself? You want to come back to my apartment? It's like, no, I don't. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't. Leave me alone. Why are you by yourself? You need a drink? And it's Tommy Wiseau sure enough talking to Tommy Wiseau and in this moment, you realize how good James Franco's Tommy Wiseau is because, like, they're identical. I'm just like, oh, why why are you so lonely? Why are you by yourself? I, I'm not lonely. I, I just want to leave people alone. I I don't want to go with you. I don't know you. It's just so bizarre because Tommy Wiseau is just bizarre, people. Like, if you're not familiar at all with The Room... It's a disaster piece, and it's not for everyone. But honestly, just look up how they made this movie, because it is so bizarre. If you've never seen a movie before, you could pick up a phone, pick up a camera, and still make a more competent movie than The Room. Because, you know, you could decide if you wanted to use film or digital cameras and not use them both simultaneously at the exact same time. And the cinematographer's going, why are you doing it? Because no one's ever done it before, so I want to be the first. You ever think that maybe there's a reason people haven't done this before? 
Also, supposedly we were getting a 4K remaster of The Room at one point. I'm going, okay, it's weird. I don't think it needs it, but I'll still buy it because I'm a shill. And Tom Rousseau comes out and goes, yeah, we're going to take the digital copies of it and turn it into 4K. I'm going, but you shot it on film as well as digital. Just, just, just a theory here, Tommy. 2002 film cameras are going to be a lot better than 2002 digital cameras. You know, your little DV tapes in 2002. I'm pretty sure film will convert better, but you do you, man. Uh, it's just, it's a random, it's a funny cameo that I'm just going, you had to do this because I'm pretty sure Tommy was so forced himself to be in this movie at some point because oh, yeah. the man's insane. Um, also, because I don't think Josh has this one, and because it's been at least five episodes since we last talked about this movie, Power Rangers 2017. Yeah! Oh, it's not have... on my list. Okay, it's not good. On my it's list. not on your list. Um, as someone that did not grow up watching the original Power Rangers, I didn't think I would care that much about this new movie, newish movie. It's been six years now. Time, you suck. Um, it's been six years since it came out, and I love it, and we still need to give more props to the casting director for that movie because, God, that movie's casted so well. Um, but the post-credit is, we more or less check back in with our breakfast club friends of an empty detention room, and there's a green jacket on a chair. Tommy Oliver? Tommy? Tommy? As we slowly zoom in on this green jacket, and then it cuts to black. We never found out who was going to be our we'll Tommy. we'll never, ever find out. There was, <laughs> there was rumors that they were going to gender bend Tommy and make it a girl this time around. I'm going, I'm not emotionally attached to this character. Um... So you do whatever. And I saw all these people be mad. I'm like, you can't do that to Tommy. I'm going, y'all, this is a franchise where someone wearing a helmet blows a flute. Let's not worry about semantics here. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. No, 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 no. You got to go all the way with it. The man is wearing a, a helmet that has a mouth on it, but does not act as a mouth who blows a flute that is not just a flute, but also a dagger yep. <laughs> to then call his giant. He has a technological suit, but he uses a flute to call his giant dragon robot so that he then jumps on top of and then goes in. There's absolutely no way that there could have been an easier way for that to happen. Come like, yeah, it's insane. I'm, or you could just see it. The Power Ranger suits are bulletproof and put a Glock in them. <laughs> I'm just imagining the sequence where they're like, Power Rage, form of a pterodactyl. Pam, pam. I'm picturing Not that today. as like a Key and Peel sketch of I like, like it is. Key and Peel could be like um, it's not Zoltar, who's a Lord Zed. One of them could be Lord Zed, and one of them could be Rita Repulsa. And the Power Rangers are doing this like five minute load up, and they're just like these morons. Oh, <gasps> <gasps> blast! Like, why did we do that five seasons ago? I don't know, man. It is hilarious that like. Every single way that, like, just a little, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Ranger uh, tangent here. Uh, it's so funny to me that Rita Repulsa and Lord Zed 
all of the ways that they come up with to get rid of the the Power Rangers are always the most convoluted ways that do not work and will never work. It's just, oh, what a show! I love that. I I am such a Power Ranger guy. It's 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 so it's it's hilarious. I was not allowed to watch them growing up, but it didn't stop me from getting it from the library. Anyway, <laughs> I right, I got three more. How many more you got? Let's go three. Here we go. Home stretch. All right. Um, I know that I'm a little iffy on it, but I know that you did not enjoy Monsters University. Mm. However, I love me a good payoff joke. I love that this, at the beginning of the movie, they're all going to classes, and there's this snail monster that's like, I got, I'm going to make it to class. I got to make it to class. And at the end of the cr- credits, they cup, cup to him finally getting to class, and the janitor's in there claiming, he's like, What are you doing here? We just, everyone's gone for the summer. <laughs> the snail's like, No! I love it. I, it is one of my, of the jokes that happen in Monsters University, it is one of my favorite jokes. I, I, when it comes to Monsters University, I am one of those people that I enjoyed it. It's definitely not as good as Monsters Inc., but it's I at least had a good time with it. You're but the apologist. snail joke, the snail joke is mm, Chef's kiss, so good. You bring up a Disney movie, I'll bring up a Disney movie. Okay, it's, it's the only post-credit scene that I can think of of the ones that we talked about today that kind of. You must watch it in order to understand certain story elements for future events because they're never addressed again, like blatantly. You have to actually see this post credit scene. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the cursed monkey. The monkey stealing the gold and becoming cursed again happens in a post credit scene, but from every pirate's on after the first one. We see the monkey is back being a skeleton. And if you didn't see that post credit scene, you would be super confused why this monkey is suddenly Ooh. invincible and running around with eyeballs, but <laughs> invincible. Like, <laughs> look, undead monkey. Boom. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just running joke, but they only ever called attention to it in the post credit scene. So if you skip the post credit scene for that first one, you're watching two, three, and four going. Wait, why is the monkey cursed, but no one else? But also, is the monkey part of the crew, and is the whole crew cursed again? Like, and don't overthink it, guys. I know it's supposed to be a joke, but don't overthink it, because as a kid, my brain's just going, well, then the treasure is not what a treasure was before. It's not complete. It's not whole. Someone took from the treasure, so the pirates should be cursed again because of the m- the monkey's actions. Pirates of the Caribbean 2, Monkey's Island. Uh <laughs> it just it was an important scene it was but the fact that they just kind of slapped it at the end and then expected everyone to be caught up with it going forward i'm going yeah kind of a this kind of a big thing for this one individual character it is it is and uh crazy enough it's not the worst decision that the pirates franchise has now has ever made uh yeah uh so this is a technicality uh it is not it is yes it is during it's like a mid credits but it extends all the way through the end of the credits as well um 
and I guess tech, I guess this doesn't count actually the more I think about it. I was going to bring up the, the whole, uh, every single bit they did at the end of 22 jump street. I was thinking about that, but yeah, I don't, I wouldn't Um, consider that one. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think it counts. It's hilarious. Don't get me wrong. Also confirms that they're never going to make another one, but, um, (laughs) they were supposed to cross off with crossover with them men in black. Yeah. Which is wild to think of that. Men in black needed them a lot more than they needed them. Yes, then absolutely. they need men in black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that doesn't count. So I guess I'm. I'm so my last two could be lumped there, together so. because Dang. they both Dang. either were part of a crossover or teased a crossover. Um, one that was actually in a crossover that did actually result in direct action for the sequel. Even if we all collectively try and forget the sequel because we couldn't see anything. The post credits for Alien vs. Predator. I I will still die on the hill. I will die on this horse. That Alien vs. Predator is not that bad. People make okay. it out. It's just like, it's the worst. In the, it's not that good. Like, both Alien and Predator have far worse installments in their franchise than Alien vs. Predator. Like, it's PG-13. They still get away with quite a bit by just changing the color of the blood. Um... You get that great yeah, xenomorph decapitation. Oh, it's so cool. Um, and great nonverbal communication between the, the main girl and the predator at that one point. That looks that was pretty cool. Um, but for those that don't know, mid two thousands, this scene was hype. It was everywhere. So uh, a predator dies at the hands of a xenomorph, and at the end, he's laying. I don't know why the predators decided to take him back to the home world, but he's laying on a table, and all of a sudden. A little xenomorph pops out. A little chestburster pops out from his stomach. And it's going to create the Predalien. And we're going, oh, that's such a cool option. And maybe someday we'll see a Predalien on the big screen. Because you couldn't see him in Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Because holy crap, that movie is dark. Not in terms of subject matter. In terms of, like, the gamma on that needs to be, like, one. Need to turn up the brightness all the way and then some watch it in a pitch black of night because you can't see anything in this movie. Action scenes are wasted because you can't see anything. Everything's too low lit. Not a great movie. I like Alien vs. Spreader. And it has a great tease to set up. Okay, what if the Alien and Predator merge into one? Is it a little fan fiction? Oh, absolutely, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> just wish it paid off a little better. Alien versus Predator is fan fiction regardless. We're like, hey guys, let's take these two franchises that really don't have any relation whatsoever and I'll throw them together. No, no. Fan fiction was Alien versus Predator versus Ash from the Evil Dead. <laughs> Ash from the Evil Dead has crossed over with so many people, whether it makes sense or not. Like, And also, just honorable mention to Ash's quick cameo at the end of the Evil Dead remake. All he says is groovy. Like, okay. You exist in this world, too. You could have helped out. Like, whatever. Yeah. Um, My last one is not a crossover movie, but it set up a crossover movie. Also, it made me happy because it just proved that I was right about some things. Um, When we were in college, I definitely remember predicting this is the trajectory that they're going to go with for the MonsterVerse. You're going to get Godzilla. Then you're going to get Kong Skull Island. Then you're going to get um Ghidorah in... Godzilla King of the Monsters, and then you're going to have Godzilla versus Kong, 
teaming up against Mechagodzilla. It's exactly what happened. Um, but by and large, to me, the best post credit scene, even though we all knew it was coming, is at the end of Kong Skull Island, when the survivors of the island are all being debriefed by Monarch, and they're going, there's these things called titans and they've existed for thousands upon thousands of years and then you see the Ghidorah with the three heads and then the last picture you see a kong sketch fighting a sketch of a godzilla as you just hear the godzilla roars cuts to black and even me who is the most casual of casual godzilla fans i'm going okay that thing i'm feeling that thing i'm feeling that's called hype now bring back Ken Watanabe back from the dead and let him say, <laughs> let them fight again because Godzilla vs. Kong was a lot of fun. Now, if you, I'm sure it's even that scene gets you more amped if you're a fan of the franchise, but even as a casual, I'm going, that alone, hearing Godzilla roar, gets me hyped for this movie and I'm glad it actually delivered. And, you know, as me, who's the ultra, like, ultra casual fan, was like, that's something that can happen? Oh, my God, let's go! <laughs> Josh discovering was, rights is always a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, that's always fun. Uh, my last one is probably the most left field I think will ever be. And to be fair, I thought this scene was, like, a part was the end of the movie. Uh, it's not. It's at the end of the credits. So the crazy stuff, the th- crazy things that happen in um, Napoleon Dynamite, um, there, there's <laughs> a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of very memorable moments. Oddly enough, the end credit scene, Kip's wedding is very memorable. Is like one of the most memorable moments, moments in the movie. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there's a running gag in the movie in Napoleon Dynamite that Kip has met someone through the internet. He's been chatting online with babes all day. He's just jealous. Um, and but we never like really get to meet her or anything like that until the end credit scene. And there's the, he sings her a song, and there's a whole wedding. It's oh, oh, love technology. technology. But not as much as USC. Like, gosh, it's so good. It is easily like it's what I literally when I I was you know trying to get some the list together and I was had a ran a blank and I was like, and that came up on like a like a Watch Mojo video and I was like, there's no 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 that's not that's that's like the end of the movie that's not at the end of the credits, and then I had to do so I had to do some research. But yeah, like one of the most at least for me memorable scenes in the movie outside of the the the, the scene where the farmer shoots the cow in the front in the face in front of a, bu- a bus for the kid full of kids <laughs> which is easily one of my the funniest things i've ever seen in my life uh, is kip's wedding it's it's so it's so weird it's such a like left field pull but like i'm glad i like glad, glad it, i saved it, it for the end it the post credits for that just fits the rest of the movie. Yes. With that. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Napoleon Dynamite, but I think that's because I had hype going into it. I'm just like, everyone keeps saying it's the most funny thing in the world. I think through Napoleon Dynamite, you can't have expectations going no, into it. I have no you just watch it and roll with it, which is weird because <laughs> the same director did Nacho Libre, which I freaking love, and it has more or less the same humor, but I it think does. it works better for Nacho Libre. Although... Both Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite have this weird thing of they're super chill, almost like G-level humor, like nothing super inappropriate. And then they'll do like one joke that's uber dark, like Napoleon Dynamite skewering a man in the eye with corn 
I'm going. Yes. <laughs> or like literally them, like like I said, my favorite scene. Oh man, darn, they won't shoot. Boom! Right in front of a bus full of kids. Oh man, it's so funny. I love, I love that. I would watch rewatch that movie for that scene alone. <laughs> Well, what do you guys think? What are your all-time favorite post-credit scenes, whether it's mid-credits or end-credits? Let us know down in the comments below as I came from you guys. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, whatever podcast you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media, you know, down in the link in the description. And as always, stay sharp movie guys and gals. Podcast. <laughs> you suck. <laughs>